At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Kenzie Wilbur, and this is Food 52's Burnt Toast. Earlier in the season, we did a show on the Rotobroil 400, a rotisserie machine that's over 60 years old but still has a healthy cult following of home cooks. If you haven't listened, you might want to go back and do that. This episode will make a lot more sense if you do. Here's a clip to jog your memory. Okay, I just turned it on. Wait, the timer works. Good. Oh my god, there it goes! There it goes, there it goes! Look at it, look at it. Oh my gosh, look at the coil. Yeah, but is it spinning? No. But I think I think I I think that this is maybe the rotisserie. Oh. Whoa! <laughs> yeah! Oh, it's stuck on a potato. Uh-oh. Turn it off. In the episode, I explain that the noise that sounds like a tractor rolling through my kitchen, that's the Rotobroil 400. As you can hear, we were victorious in turning it on, and later in the episode, we did indeed cook with it. But the bigger victory for us was that right after we aired this episode, we got an email from a man named Paul Dorwin, explaining that the show was very personal to him. In his email, he wrote, You see, my wife's father, Leon Klinghoffer, was the inventor of the Rotobroil. Yes, that Leon Klinghoffer. We started going back and forth about the Rotobroil 400. Paul scanned me some pictures of Leon at an appliance convention in the 1950s, and we talked about what a hoot the Mr. and Mrs. Rotobroil cookbook is, which came with the original machine. I asked if we could speak with his wife. Because Leon Klinghoffer's story is big. Too big for an episode about whether the Rotobroil really does deserve its cult following. Which, spoiler alert, it really does. Leon's daughters, Ilsa and Lisa, joined us in the studio to tell his story. The story starts before Ilsa was even born. Lisa was five, and her father, Leon, had a hardware store across the street from their home in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Here's Ilsa, and you'll hear Lisa interject. Our father was very mechanically oriented. He did a lot with his hands. He was a tinkerer. And I think over time, this was an area that he gravitated to. Uh, just to interject, I mean, when he was in the Army, he worked on planes. 
and he worked on the mechanics of that. So he was always doing stuff at home, fixing things. I think some of our earliest memories, though, as it relates to the business and the hardware business, because we lived across the street from the store, was shoveling the snow on those snowy days. We were put to work or going behind the counter and trying to help customers, except, you know, we weren't supposed to, you know, get in the way. But just being there was really exciting to be amongst all of the business and the happenings going on. He reached out to everybody he knew. Everybody came to him to help solve their problems. He was like the peacemaker. We, they, he was like the mayor of Avenue A. Everybody flocked into the store. When our mother was pregnant with me, um, time to go to the hospital. They go down to the lobby of the building, and somebody runs over and says, Leon, I need you for just a minute. I'm having a problem with my lock. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Marilyn, I'll be, I'll, it'll be one second. I'll be right back. <laughs> so, yeah, he was just so <laughs> helpful. He couldn't say no. Leon Klinghoffer was a Mr. Fix-It. If you had a question or a problem or a process that should be a little easier but wasn't, it's likely that he had an answer. The next step for him in his career was to grow this instinct into a business. He started the Rotoboil Corporation with his brother, Albert. Leon was the ideas man. He would work with his team to turn his designs into real products, and Albert took on the marketing. Together, they opened a brand new location with a whole new line of products. And it was a huge factory slash, we called it the plant. The plant. I'm going to the plant, Mar. I'll be at the plant. That included things like um, the deep fryer, the motorized massaging belt <laughs> my personal favorite <laughs> the um the motorized exercise table electric <laughs> knives electric mixers blenders all of these items very exciting when our father brought home the electric hair curler at that time i was probably about 8 years old and i have such a vivid memory i had the long hair hair down to my backside and we heated up the rollers and we wound them up into my hair making me I was going to have really curly hair had to stay in my hair for a little bit and then we went to take the rollers out it was a big problem because they would not come out <laughs> it was so painful we had to cut them out they no, had to go back to the it. drawing board <laughs> rework it yeah. Elsa and Lisa were a little too young when he was scheming to make the very first Rotobroil 400, but they like to think that he made the machine because he was approached by a neighbor with a problem, just like he always was. They do remember the Rotobroil 400 as a fixture on their kitchen counter. Their family would fire it up every so often to roast a chicken. Back then, the Rotobroil 400 was groundbreaking, and not just because it was Leon's original invention. Elsa describes that it brought a lot of attention to the company in those early days. It was massively popular. They made commercials, traveled to conventions, it did demos with chefs, and they created a whole cookbook around it. This gave Leon and his brother Albert a real jumping-off point for their business. And then, much later in life, the Rotobroil 400 found its way back to Elsa and Lisa. Here's Elsa. So, it was the year 2000, and... As I do when I go to the doctor's office, there are all the magazines while you're waiting, and I'm flipping through a Vogue magazine. And 
I opened to this story by the food editor, Jeffrey Steingarten, and he is writing about the best chicken he ever had in his life, and he references the rotabroil. Well, my mouth just dropped open. I couldn't believe it. You might remember Chris Knudsen, who we interviewed for our last Rotoboil episode. He was the editor who assigned Jeffrey Steingart in this story in Vogue. So I came home, I put in a call to Vogue, and I spoke to Jeffrey Steingart, and I told him that I read his article. I wanted, to t- I wanted him to know that my father invented the Rotoboil with his brother, and that it was so heartwarming to read his words about it and and what it meant to him. And I know it meant a lot to so many people. And he asked me, well, do you have a rotabroil? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, I'm coming into possession of four rotabroils and I want (laughs) you to have one. About a month and a half later, the biggest box shows up. I open it up and there's a rotabroil. And I reached out to Jeffrey. He said, just enjoy it. And it's been a hoot having it in our kitchen now and sharing it with our friends and family who come over. You know, I don't think we realized, obviously, when we were little, what a unique uh, invention this was. I have to say, if my father knew that 50 years later, his daughters, my sister Elsa and I would be doing a podcast about the rotabroil, he would just be quelling. So Leon lived a much more publicized life on the internet um, in the past 20 years, one that's very separate from all of this, it feels to me. Could you run us through that time? Yeah, we can do that. I guess I guess it starts 31 years ago when our parents took a trip, a cruise in the Mediterranean, in the Mediterranean on the Achille Loro boat. And the boat was hijacked by terrorists. And uh, they were they had taken this trip to celebrate their wedding anniversary and my mother's birthday. At the time, my mother was in remission from colon cancer. And our father, who had the residuals of a stroke... Second stroke. Second stroke, um, was able to take the trip because our mom had really scoped out the ship. Was it going to be able to accommodate the wheelchair? Um, How would this work? What stops would they get on and off at? Anyway, the long and short of it was when it was hijacked, um, there was one fatality and it was our dad. And um, we, it was a really difficult time for us. The Achille Loro was hijacked by four members of the Palestinian Liberation Front. It was an act of terror they hoped would result in the release of Palestinians being held in Israeli prisons. At this time, in 1985, Reagan was president, and he had troops standing by for a potential rescue. It was total random chance that this ever intersected with the Klinghoffers' lives. A good portion of travelers from the cruise ship were off exploring Cairo for the day. But because Leon was in a wheelchair, he and his wife decided to stay back. The hijacking was all over the news, so much so that when Marilyn Klinghoffer called her daughters to tell them what happened, Ilsa and Lisa had already heard. 
All of this inspired an opera which debuted in Brussels in 1991 called The Death of Klinghoffer. Later that year, it played at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and Ilsa and Lisa went to the opening. They felt it misrepresented their father and family. And what's interesting right now is we can continue to tell you about that that time, but this opportunity that you've provided us right now gives us a chance to talk about our dad other than that, where he was a wonderful person and um, up until the very end, accomplished and and hardworking and... And he was just a regular person wanting to enjoy his life as much as he could with my mother, with our family, never, ever, no one ever thinking that he that his murder could ever happen after the cruise um it was really horrific what happened as we all know and we received thousands of letters from all over the world people were so uh upset is not the right word but so um traumatized by what happened the letters, the support that we got from all over the world was amazing. And our mom only lived four months after our father's murder. And in that time, she wanted to make the world aware and educated about what happened. And she did so much in that time. And as a result, today, people still remember it. And I think for us, it's very powerful to know that at least our father's murder was not in vain and that um, we continue ourselves, what our mom started in terms of education on a, on a lot of different levels. And it's so important because even today it still has gotten even worse, yeah. sadly so. Nobody would have ever thought <clears throat> there would terrorism would be on the increase like it has been and to the point where thousands of you know, thousands are being murdered. So for us, I think it makes my sister and I feel good that we can make some kind of difference in a way that I know that our parents would want us to, and I hope are proud of us. There are many sides to a father, uh, are your parents, and we are we are so blessed, even though we feel cheated in certain ways. I was 28 when I lost both of my parents, but the mere fact that I had the parents I had, I, I am the very lucky. We're so lucky, well, to have the family that we have and had now. We just wish that they had known our, our children. The Klinghoffer family archives have been donated by Ilsa and Lisa and are available to the public. You can find them at the American Jewish Historical Society in Manhattan. This episode of Burnt Toast was produced by Gabrielle Lewis and me, Kenzie Wilper. Thanks also to Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs, the founders of Food52, and to Andy Bowers at Panoply. Our add-in theme music is by Joshua Rule Dobson, and all other music is by Blue Dot Sessions and Signal Sounds NYC. Our logo is designed by Abby Lossing. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. Or get in touch. Email us at burnttoast at food52.com. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>